Podcast. is Bruce. This is John. This is Blix. This is Trav. This is Rich. This is Shelly. Welcome, Shelly, to the TriTac Games Podcast. Your podcast of finding that you're in a strange world where things aren't quite real, but you want them to be that way. No baka, darling. Uh, Trav, why don't you introduce our guest tonight? This is a special moment for me, sort of also a bucket list thing. My daughter, Michelle, some of you in my dementia show would know her as Shellshock, is joining us here tonight for the subject matter, which is adding anime tropes and conventions to various TriTech games. Now, Shelly, really quick, your curriculum vitae as far as why I brought you into this. I'm a weep. <laughs> yes, what are your credentials? Yeah, what are your credentials? What's your cre- what's your geek cred as far as this goes? Um, I've been going to cons since before I was born, so there's that. And You're going to rub <laughs> that into my face on here. Okay. <laughs> and um uh I've been going to Yomacon, which is the local anime convention since the second year it started and I've never missed a year of since. Uh Detroit for those of you who don't know where we come from, the local Detroit Anime Con and also you helped create the anime club for our alma mater, Belleville High. Yeah, I helped uh, my sophomore year. I helped create the anime club, which was going on for uh, up to, I believe, two years after I left, up until the teacher who was running it ended up going elsewhere. But um, it's carried on, and it's now actually going at the local library, and they still call and ask me to come up, and I'm kind of like, ah, didn't you mentor some kids recently at Yomacon, the newer generation of anime club members, and you were kind of like mother henning them? Yeah, I'm called Con Mom. <laughs> okay, I like that. I made sandwiches for everyone and uh, gave them all my phone numbers. Oh, God, that is a Con Mom. Did you cut the crust off the bread, too? No, they're all big kids. They can do that themselves. <laughs> all I did was cut it into little pieces for them so they didn't choke. All righty. So, as I said, we're doing... Adding anime tropes and conventions to various TriTac games. If you want to check out something really cool, you need to tune in to the TriTac podcast. What's that you say? TriTac? What's a TriTac? TriTac is one of the oldest role playing companies around. They make games like Fringe Woodland, FTL 2448, Hardwired Hinterland, Beach Bunny Bimbos with Blasters. Designed for D20 and Savage Worlds, these games will kick your dice into overdrive. Whether you want to combat the denizens of the underworld, travel the galaxy, get crazy with bimbos, or travel the multiverse and do it all, TriTac has you covered. Go to TriTacGamers.com to see what it's all about. 
That's T-R-I-T-A-C-Gamers.com. And check out our weekly podcast at tritacsystems.podbean.com. Or simply enter keyword TriTac in iTunes. You're going to love it. So we're talking about playing characters in these worlds. And I just, I just want to bring up that, you know, I don't know how many people have ever done this as a, as a, as a player. I had one character I played in the previous campaign, not the campaign we're in now, but the campaign we're in before. And I made sure I had a high cooking level and in one of the skills that I had. And I played that up a lot. I used it a lot because we travel, we traveled all over the place. And you would be surprised. I don't know if anyone's ever done this, played a character who portrayed themselves as the cook. But you can really use that a lot, especially like in a Fringeworthy campaign or a campaign where you travel a lot. Because inevitably you're going to wind up traveling with a caravan or uh, like a pirate ship or whatever. And if you're the best cook around, right, you naturally fall into that role. Everybody sits around and talks to the cook uh, because he's giving them good food and everybody, you know, I mean, if it's, if you role play it properly, a character who is based around cooking can be a very integral character. You can do, I'm, I'm telling you, we did, I played this character for over a year and there was a lot of stuff that came out of my character being a cook. Now he wasn't, a, that wasn't his profession. That was just one of my hobby skills that I, you know, that I, cause we all kind of make sure we have hobby skills. One of the guys was a big chess player and one of the guys was a gambler and one, you know, blah, blah, blah. That mine was cooking and it really played out. So if you should, if you should ever, you know, play a long campaign where you're traveling around a lot, much like, especially like French worthy, um, you really should play with the cook concept. It's it, you can have a lot of fun with that. Well, because- you know, one of my first first beer thirteen characters was a short order cook, and he that he he did he worked in a, he, he basically worked in a diner, and yeah, he he basically uh, he he was a I would say he was a competent cook because you know he was a short order cook. You know, you, you don't expect filet filet mignon from him. He'll give you steaks rare or, or medium well. And you'll like it. Um, in fact, and on top of that, in my current, and if you listen to it on the Sunday Skypers, um, my character uh, Ufkel is a brewer, which is another version of the of the chef, of the chef. He makes beer, and that's it's almost been like a separate, t- totally separate um, plot line in the, in the game game we've been playing. There's a game we're trying to rest rest the uh, scoria deep back from whoever took it. And then there's Ufkel and trying to become a best brewer he can, running along with two. There's a great example of two different s- separate storylines running at the same time in a, in a regular RPG campaign. Well, food, and food generally is a social activity mm-hmm. and cooking and eating. Mm-hmm. So when yep. Blix brought up about you know the cook there getting all sorts of information, just and also if you're in a caravan and you are known to be a good cook, that kind of would help, you know, that will get you in good with the caravan. Let's say you need to pay for passage to be part of the caravan. Well, if you're yep. cooking, you got a, somebody who can cook, there's sort of, you know, that's something they'll tell you. Is, okay, you cook for us and we'll let you and your people ride with us. And just generally while eating, that's a good way to, like, roll your gather information roll. And people tend to relax a little more while they're eating. So, yeah, you can kind of, you know, get more facts that way 
So yeah, there there's been a couple campaigns where I've had people actually putting ranks in profession cook. And they And I, I find that in, in a lot of campaigns they 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 ignore it. They really don't see that where that people would actually be more willing that they, they would gain a value, they would make a connection with you because you're feeding them. You know, they usually see it more like, well, we're coming in here and we're giving rations to the uh, to the poor, starving natives. You know, and and uh, you know, but that doesn't generate any real, you know, connection between any of the characters. Like, you know, the, 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 this town elder goes, "Yes, thank you very much. You're welcome here anytime." Not like if you actually go through the process of feeding them and, 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 and go into the detail of it, of you know, cooking for it, the smells, the asking for help and getting help from the, the people who are there. I mean, all that, you know, builds that those kinds of connections that make it much more reasonable to think that these people are going to put themselves out for you because they have you know, they now have a real connection to you. Uh, some friends of mine were, were playing low life, and the GM decided, "Okay, you know what? You're going, you're going to this one place, and they're famous for their for their chili. So he made a big pot of chili, and served it during the game. <laughs> so he really had a prop that the players could actually enjoy. <laughs> uh, and that's one way of actually bringing the food into the game by actually bringing food into the game. Um, so yeah." If you if you guys be playing in ancient Japan, hey, think about you know having some stuff by. If you got a sushi place, pick up some sushi, or at least pick up some, you know, I gotta use the air quotes Japanese food, and bring it to the bring it to the uh, <laughs> to the to the game to the game. Well, even role playing, you know, if if you don't have the food, I run a on alternating Sundays. I run a Star Trek Pathfinder game. And we researched Klingon food because my friend Perky Goth, her husband Oz, plays a Klingon in Starfleet. And so gah. it just yeah, did, did gah and all that. Yeah, we were we had all our laptops going, just checking all sorts of stuff. And it was fun role-playing, dealing with all these Klingon foods because, yeah, we were eating the Klingons and Oz was playing one. Everyone else was non-Klingon, so they had to deal with I mean, it it opened a lot of role playing opportunity because yeah, you're having to chase your food, and here you know I'm having people roll to hit to catch the little crawling thing running across the table. It's like if you get it, you eat it, you know. <laughs> so I it was fun there too. I think we touched upon that when we were talking about having dinner with the, the Mixies. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In the anime Log Horizon, which is an anime where people are trapped inside of a video game, uh, it's, it's basically the one that most people don't know of, but they always know about Sword Art Online. But so it, it has all the tropes of being inside, you know, uh, a, a video game. And one of the problems that they have in it is that the food all tastes like cardboard. No matter what you make, you know, whether you kill an animal, and they have to eat apparently in the game. To survive, no one knows why they're in the game. They just know they are, you know, why they're there. It's not like Sword Art Online where they realize that their bodies are, you know, hopefully somewhere where someone's taking care of them, uh, and they just, you know, their their minds are trapped inside the video game. That they, uh, but in, in Log Horizon, it's as if they're actually there. So they really have to eat this this terrible tasting food until someone discovers. 
who's actually a very highly skilled sh- uh, chef, says, well, it doesn't have to taste that way, but you have to know what you're doing. So the characters who had really, really high levels of, of crafting cooking were able to then go and find spices, and they actually produced food that tasted good. And it literally caused everybody around them to say, what, you can make good food? Or here, if I, will, I will give you this food, and it's like real food. And they're willing to do anything for them to get their hands on that food because they've been eating cardboard for who knows how long. Yeah, of course, there's nothing on the mystery meat from the Ardana New. <laughs> Considering the Ardana New recycles everything. Yeah, well, yeah, it's that's true. That's the Ardana Poo. <laughs> you should have seen the look on the faces of the players after they took over the ship, and they, and they wondered, what happened to all the bodies? And that's when the bug says, Oh, great news, we're eating protein tonight. Lovely. Wow. Okay, so moving into our last section, which is as if life was an RPG. What I'm talking about here is where there's things that actually don't make any sense, except as if, unless life was actually like an RPG. Okay? You know, the, the stories that I, I, I'm watching just seem to, to have a lot of things that, that, to me, it's like, you know, it, it seems like it would make more sense if this was actually you know, some people play a video game. And of course, in a lot of cases, animes are video games that have been turned into anime. So it's, it's not falling too, too far away from the tree. But the number one thing I have here, and it's something I personally hate, is amnesia. There's, there seems to always be a character who doesn't remember their past, or there's something in their past they can't remember. In video games and computer games, this actually makes a certain amount of sense because the player, who's a person, you know, they don't know anything about the world in which they're entering. So, of course, by making them amnesiatic, then it makes sense that they that they don't know anything and everybody has to explain everything to them. I don't like it. The best ways I see them actually doing it is where somebody made a promise to another childhood friend when they were four years old. Like they promised to always be together. They promised to get married. They promised to go into a business with each other. They made some promise. And the kid, of course, now 10 years later, okay, has totally forgotten that promise. Because, you know, because they hadn't seen this person. They moved away, and they don't even remember. The, I mean, how many of us really remember things that happened when we were four years old? But the other character has a memory that's like the, 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 the gold disc that they sent off with the Voyager. It is perfect, pristine, and it will last forever. And they remember with laser accuracy everything that happened, and they just are so upset that that person doesn't remember, A, who they are, B, what they said, and C, what they promised to do. It's an ongoing trope in so many anime, and it's usually between a male and female character. Also, isn't it, I, I'm just trying to remember, and not, not making a joke, uh, sorry about the pun, but I'm trying to remember, uh, I remember seeing one where the, 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 the primary, the protagonist doesn't remember you know, he wakes up and he doesn't know what happened before. You want either he wasn't real, 
so to speak, or two, he was someone very important, and he's just you know, brain, you know, his his mind was more or less wiped, and then stuck stuck here, stuck on Earth, or something like that, and they had to rescue. Or stuck him. in a new body. Yeah, new body. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you find out at the end of the anime that the the main character was killed, and they took what they could from his body and put it into a clone or a new, a completely unrelated body, and he's now just discovering at the end who he, who and what he or she really is. Yeah, there's a uh, Tenchi GXP, the uh, character who's uh, Tenchi's half brother, um, finds himself on an alien world, and he doesn't remember how the heck he got there. In fact, he he barely remembers anything from the past other than his his father loved him, and he had all these sisters <laughs> that took care of him. Right? So, yeah. <laughs> well, they would. I mean, if you think about that group, it, you know, his remember it, 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 this actually happened in the last. Tenchi, uh, uh, start Tenchi, they start Tenchi. His father got married, and then and they were going to have a kid again. So yeah, it, they would take care of that kid, like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> right, I'm saying they use it a lot. You know, where people should know things and they can't remember them, and it and it irks me because I see it so oftenly used, especially in anything that has a romantic situation where. It's just I, I consider it, you know, uh, it irks me. I just I think it's it's not a good way of doing it, and it isn't so many, so I get really tired of it. But yeah, that whole thing about amnesia. Now, the, uh, with the amnesia, there's also dreams. Dreams are in a lot of anime, and the dreams always come true. Okay, it's either the past trying to break through the amnesia and tell somebody something, or it's like a vision that's going to somehow. And, and, you know, by the end of the storyline, whatever they've dreamed happens, you know, good or ill. You know, they're they're trying to avoid their destiny, which is the dream, or you know, it's, it, they use it a lot, and that I like that better because then you know, it's it's like, are you fighting your fate? Or is it trying to warn you and you're too stupid to figure out what's going to, ha- you know, what you need to know? Or is it actually helpful when it, it actually allows the characters to, you know, get what they need or, or develop the skills that they need in order to win by the end? In Paprika, dreams literally came true. That uh, movie Paprika's was a- freaky. Yes. <laughs> uh, it's sort of like, uh, was it... Um, Altered states mixed, w- w- taken to the uh, taken taken up up a notch in some in some aspects. It's, it, it, had, it had elements of altered states. It had elements of oh, what movie was it where they had people who were dreaming and their dreams were coming were coming were coming alive? Dreamscape. Dreamscape, yes, yes, Dreamscape. Sort of like that. Only it it was happier in the sort end. Of. Sort of, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and this is the probably one of the, the, the anime tropes is the easiest to do in an actual game because the GM who's got the adventure laid out in front of her can 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 create can cobble together a dream and hand it to a character and and, and hopefully they'll share it with the group. And that gives them, you know, some direction that they might need. I mean, it's it's been used constantly in D and D type adventures, but it can be used in any kind of adventure. And it's oh. it's one. It's if you do it right, you avoid the plot hammer. Okay, if you do it wrong, of course, it's a, it's a tremendous plot hammer. And maybe that's and if that's a, 
And that may be intentional. It may be you need to do that, but most of the time, it's I find that it's a, another way of of bringing um, uh, backstory and bringing you know increasing the fabric of richness of the interactions between the characters because these dreams tell them things that might get them to say, "Hey, John, you know." We were fighting vampires, except that you were a vampire too. Is there something you need to tell me about? And you know, oh, the fun one. I, I I've only seen it done once. Good in a in a game is where you know the the GM says, "Okay, you're dreaming," and, and it gives you a little dream. Then you wake up, and you you interact with the other players, and then elements of the dream start showing up, and then you wake up. Did I get experience for it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Usually the gym will stop it at the point where you would get experience for it. <laughs> see, that's no fun. You know, I can see it happening in Bureau 13 a lot more, especially if you're the non-supernatural person on the team. You start having dreams, and then elements of those dreams start showing up in the real world. Were you given a dream, or is something weird happening at that point? Number three, there are wildly difference, differing competency levels, and the lower levels need to know their place. This is pretty much every RPG that's ever existed. Yeah. I mean, unless you intentionally go and build all your characters to be the same power level, which is one of the reasons I don't like a lot of point-by systems... And in anime, you know, when I say they're wildly different, I mean, you know, you you got people who've got supernatural ability levels along with people who are just normal people. Hey, how about, like, the Avengers? Yeah. Exactly that. You got Thor, Hulk, yeah. you know, ungodly strength, and you got Black Widow and Hawkeye who are basically just assassins. Yeah. Yeah. And see, really, those two should not be holding their own. You know, with with the you know the, the the rest of the Avengers. Well, I I explained this to to my gamers, uh, mother and daughter, on my show, their Goth Bunny and Pixie, that the reason why the power level thing works is because there are things that Thor knows of a cosmic nature that Hawkeye and Black Widow give two you know what's about. Meanwhile, there's street level type stuff that Thor. Oh, that is beyond me, for I am mighty. Meanwhile, Hawkeye and Black Widow know things about what goes on in back alleys and espionage and all that. So in that respect, that's why you have these characters of varying power levels. Now, for an anime trope, it would be more along the lines of it's you have more like usually the master and the student. Yeah. Or in the case of Tenchi Moyo, you've got Ryoko who can fly and has her powers and then Tenchi who... I think he has a sword toward the end of Tenchi Universe, you know. Uh, grand, grandpa and Tenchi. Yeah, yeah, that's another one, yeah. Well, in Tenichi, the Mightiest Disciple, you've got Tenichi, who initially, he's, he's the most pathetic thing you've ever saw. And he's being trained by these cosmic-level martial artists, each in their own special category. And his training sessions usually end up with him being pulverized practically because of the intensity of it. One of the reasons he's there is because there is this drop-dead gorgeous uh, blonde girl who's the granddaughter of one of the grandmasters. She's really good. She's not a grandmaster level by any regard, but she is like, she's 
enormously higher level in everything that she does compared to him. The high level guys, I mean, they never change. They never get any better. They're at the top. Okay, but to, uh, but in in the storyline, Tanichi at a certain point starts showing some muscle definition. He starts fighting people and actually, you know, pulls off moves that totally de- defeat his opponents. And he didn't really. He just suddenly realized, hey, this is like this thing where they were like really hurting me. But if I do what they tell that they were trying to tell me to do, then you know, and and he pulls off some amazing move. There, there is a progression that you can see, but it, he's always depicted as being like pathetic in comparison to everybody he comes up against until he proves himself to actually be competent until the next one. And then he's pathetic again. You know, the only thing he really has going for him is that earlier trope of it doesn't matter whether you have talent as long as you keep on trying. Yeah. yeah, but he actually does see a progression. There's like three levels in that particular anime. There's him, which is like supposedly nothing until he shows he actually has some talent. Then there's hit that 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 girl, and then there's everybody else who is the super master. I mean, the grandfather is so powerful that his robe has a six pack stomach on it. Mm. <laughs> mm. Now, you know, he's wearing a robe and you can see the ridges of his stomach <laughs> through the rope. Yeah. I mean, it does come down to, I remember, I remember talking to some other friends about this, the problem of playing doc Savage. Technically no one can play doc Savage. You play everyone else and doc Savage is as a GM character or a character that everyone plays. Uh, we played a, I remember one time we sat, we sat down with inspectors and we hacked it for a James Bond game. And there was no J- no one played James Bond. We all played James Bond, so to speak. I, uh, we actually broke into two teams. We had Spectre and we had uh, MI6. And we worked it that way. And it worked out really well. We, you know, we had James Bond doing all the James Bond stuff, but, but we were helping him. I, you know, I was I was Q, and our person was Money Penny. Uh, another person was Blofeld. Another person was uh, someone else. I forgot who it was. Uh, uh, Drax, I think. And they're, we're all working from up, working against each other. But at the same time, there's James Bond doing James Bond stuff. <laughs> A guy I know um, created an RPG which he called Cosmic Trigger. What he did was he said is that you can have as much power as you want, the ability to do whatever you want to, but the more power you have, the more points go toward this cosmic trigger. And what that means is that once a session, you roll under your cosmic trigger, and if you hit your cosmic trigger, then something complicated happens. And the people who are all the superhero-type characters were constantly having to deal with complications. The people who played rather mundane characters with might have an area specialty they were pretty good at. They could actually concentrate on the mission, okay, because they, they, their, their things weren't happening constantly to complicate their lives. Yeah. That was how this guy, this one guy uh, dealt with it, and I said the system was called Cosmic Trigger. At the time, I didn't have a whole lot of appreciation for it, but uh, as I played games with where I wanted to have varying power levels, it actually made a lot of sense. You know, as long as the GM isn't using it as a uh, an opportunity to mess over the the players. Yeah, I'm thinking about some of the times I played in various superhero games where. Between the GMs who are very rigid in 
how you, you superpowers work versus GM saying, oh, yeah, you can do that. And you end up with people who are very good at descriptions being much more powerful than other people, especially in descriptive systems like fate, where it's more up to interpretation of how your powers work rather than rigid rules how your powers work. Yeah, so the person who's, the, who's, better, who's better describing stuff gets off with a lot more, even though everyone, t- technically everyone is equal, people, you know, they're not in the, those situations. Now, there's a corollary to this, which is that the older that you are, the more powerful you are. That makes a lot of sense in a fighting type of a, of a storyline, because if you weren't awesome, how would you live long enough to get older? Yeah. The, the the classic kung fu uh, uh, Chinese and Japanese uh, movies where you know the old man with the beard you know the wispy beard is taking on twelve guys and and, and defeating them utterly you know because he's he's the grand master you know and he, with one finger he'll end your life or everyone else is spending the entire battle you know bouncing their arms off of each other trying to get a blow in it's a, it's a trope that's common to Asian cinema. Not just Asian cinema. I mean, from Discworld, there's Kohen the Barbarian, who must be hitting a hundred. Yet he's the most dangerous person you ever fight. Even though he may have about as much muscle mass as a, as a twelve-year-old, he knows how to fight, and you don't. And he's he's a hundred years old, and he's still a fighter. Right. Yeah. He's got mad skills. Oh yeah. So now, again, some other things that, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but you find it a lot in anime, is there is no collateral casualties. Now, this is not, obviously, is not always true. But I'm just saying is that you, know, you have all these ones where they're, especially in Robotech, okay, where they're literally blowing up huge sections of the ship where people are living. But, you know, after it's over, they all come walking out. Oh, man, that was close. The sweep away the debris and they're back to business the next day. Oh yeah, Kill a Kill had that too, where they wiped out Osaka. Yeah, everyone's still alive. And that actually goes along again with another corollary, which is scenery reset, which is barring the destruction of the planet, no matter what happens, everything is treated as business as usual by the next day. Yeah. They did that in Data Live, uh Evangelion. I mean, that town that they're in. You know, people are constantly going into the deep bunkers, but I mean, the town itself is rebuilt by the next day. Look at look at Robotech, where they like transport that whole town into space, but somehow all the citizens live being transported into the ship from from floating <laughs> in space. Oh, especially when the ship transforms. Yeah, right. Right, the ship transforms. <laughs> Everybody's fine. Well, they actually show that, at least things folding around each other and people having to, like, get out of the way. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it would be kind of scary to be inside of a transforming device if you weren't in those special seats, you know, where it's safe. Right. I'm also thinking of, of, of Dirty Pair, the, the TV series, not necessarily the movies. Uh, I would say uh, Dirty Pair, uh, e- Project Eden, that one definitely had a plant being destroyed. Unless they destroy the actual planet, usually things just kind of, you know, it's it's okay, it's fine. And usually, I mean, and 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 a lot, and usually people don't die when these terrible things happen. Common people, they just always seem to be, you know, under a, a park bench or they're inside of a car or they're inside of a building, and they don't they don't you know get killed by these amazingly theatrical, super intense explosions and 
and fights that happen literally right next to them. One of the things you enter is about violence is very theatrical. I mean, there's an entire sequence in Project Eden, uh, I would say, uh, until recently, hadn't been matched yet in live cinema <laughs> in terms of ultraviolence, you know, and things being destroyed and blowed up real good. And it was all done in slow motion, too. The entire sequence is done in slow motion, and it's beautiful. If you, if you play on real time, it'd probably be about, oh, say, 30 seconds of combat. <laughs> But it takes like 10 minutes of movie time to play through. <laughs> okay. Now, sometimes I think that they really are doing this for theatrical effect. If you're doing this in an RPG, this is where you basically tell, tell your players to just go over the top as to what they're doing, okay? Mm-hmm. And, but in reality, what they're doing is a lot less. So, for example, is that there's a lot of anime where one of the characters does something to another character, and that character turns around and literally kicks them across the room, sometimes off a bridge or something, okay? And the mm-hmm. next time you see the character, they're like got like a you know a band-aid on their cheek or something. It's and they're not supposed to be super powered. The the animators or the, the writers decide to just go really over the top is that I'm so mad, this is what I would do to you if I could, but instead actually what happens is much less. In a couple of animes and even live action films they they do this in a sense as a as a wish fulfillment daydream where they pull out a gun and they hose the entire room and then all of a sudden they pop back and they're all sitting around the same room and nobody's doing that it was just a wish fulfillment thing but in in, in a lot of japanese animation they actually do it but the truth of the matter is is that they don't really do anything. I mean, the people don't end up with broken bones like they should, you know, especially if they're not super powered, you know. I mean, it's almost like Spider-Man's excuse for why he never gets hurt is, I rolled with the punch. The Hulk hits it, tries to punch him out, but Spider-Man rolls with the punch and only gets a little tiny piece of Spider-Man, you know, so. Yeah. You see this, again, again and again in anime where there's this, this really, really dramatic and over-the-top violence but then you look around the rest of the room and the, the chairs aren't thrown up against the walls, you know, nobody's dying. And matter of fact, half the time the teacher's like, you be quiet back there. <laughs> you know, he's up there writing something on the bulletin board, hasn't even noticed the extreme ultraviolence that's occurring in the room. So if you want to be realistic about it, it didn't really happen. It was just kind of like a wish fulfillment kind of thing. So you could do that in, in, a, in a game where you could say, I'm just going to, you know, rip off his head and, you know, and, and, and spit down it and, and describe that. And, of course, you know, what really happens is, is you punch him. Yeah. Let's go back in time uh, to an early glum. And the boyfriend, the one she wants, she's interested in. He would do something and she'd just reach out and belt him. And like you said, knock him to the moon. Yeah, you know, so yeah, it definitely really was played up in that one. <laughs> this also follows this whole strange kind of people don't actually suffer any long-term damage thing. Is that outside of combat, people only seem to be disabled because they have anemia or heat prostration. I mean, there's you know, unless of course the, the character gets sick and goes into the hospital, and that's you know something that's you know is being done for the rest of the of the thing. Most of the time. You know, people never seem to have a problem. You know, they never, you know, they 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 they, they might get sick for a day again, and they there, there seems to be a kind of disjoint that that people don't suffer the consequences 
um, of their actions, you know. And if they are hurt bad enough that they actually have an injury, they go into the hospital, they get treated, and they walk out perfectly fine. Everything is, is, is a complete reset. They're as good as they were before and probably more skilled. What was that Blick said? They, they heal at the speed of plot. Exactly, Trav. Exactly. Unless, of course, it's a plot point like uh, Ray from uh, Evangelican, who basically goes through through several episodes badly injured and yet still gets into her EVA unit and goes out and fights. But then when it's not a plot point, boom, they're healed. Using it to show their determination, you know, to win at all costs, then yeah, they'll they'll fight while wounded. Okay, yeah, sure. But I'm just saying, is it's, as soon as that's over, it's like, oh yeah, okay, you know, a nice hot bath. You've got that Band-Aid on your cheek. <laughs> the next day, everything's fine. It's all it's all good. You know, it's it's, it's in almost every anime that that I, I've ever seen that actually has violence, and they almost all do of some kind. You know, there's only a few that don't. Okay, Hammer Space. Bum, bada, bum. I love Hammer Space. I, I must say, I love Hammer Space. It's been used so many times for so many things. And the best use of Hammer Space has got to be in Grenadier, where the girls, the main, the main characters, are reloading their guns by bouncing bullets out of their cleavage. <laughs> And you know, and then they fly in the air and they fall into the guns because they're like mostly revolvers and stuff. Okay, and they're firing them and they're throwing the they're throwing the empty cartridges away. And there's more shells, you know, launching themselves as they bounce around and do somersaults and stuff, going falling into the guns. (laughs) You know, it's it's pretty darn amazing. You know, can't remember the anime, but I remember there was one where. I'll call it it's hyperspace, but it's, it was used like it was hammer space where they hid an entire battleship until the last moment. It's some pocket universe where all these things are stuffed into, you know. Now, it's usually used for comedy where, yep. you know, some guy does something he shouldn't and the girl literally pulls out a, you know, a gigantic hammer like you'd see in a Looney Tunes cartoon and just slams it down on top of, of the guy. And then, of course, it disappears. The guy ends up with a, ba- instead of being crushed like he should be, he ends up with a Band-Aid on his cheek and a stern scolding by the other characters. Like, you really deserve that. I mean, that's where Hammer Space came from, was came from American cartoons. I can show you examples, like Betty Boop on occasion would pull things out of nowhere and use them on people. So, yeah, it's a, it's a long and respected uh, trope in animation. There's a place where everything resides. Uh, now, in a lot of magical type of anime, they usually, they literally, they will create a portal, they'll reach through it and pull something out. Swords come out of hammer space. Mm-hmm. A lot of swords come out of hammer space. Um, and other types of things. The only time I've seen it in America cinema was in uh, Ultraviolet. Oh, yes. Where Mila Jovich's character literally, you know, she they they refer to it as folded space, and she literally has the the complete arsenal that you saw suddenly appear in the Matrix. She's got that entire thing folded into her sleeve, essentially, and she just pulls out gun after gun after gun. She never reloads because she just tosses away the gun after it runs out of ammo and pulls a fresh new one out. And keeps on going. A, a, a variation of that is in Tenchi, in the OVA of Tenchi Muyo Universe, where the house gets taken into space, but it's still, it's still connected to Washu's lab. 
And Washington's Lab is a little pocket universe where they can go and hide if they need to. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And 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 of course they they used that in uh, Heinlein's Number of the Beast, where the bathroom was actually in Oz. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. You open the door and go outside in the Oz. Hammer Space is really is great. Uh, obviously, it can be misused. Catgirl Cuties, the one of the main characters. She has the ability to summon into her hands a, a weapon that's within like fifty feet of her. So she goes a port, and bam, there's a you know a Glock in her hand, and she starts firing it. That's where the mecca for Vandred lives, and you know she's riding a little scooter, hits the button, boom, turns into the Vandred suit. I'm also thinking of uh, Madoka, where one of the characters, Mammy, her weapon is are rifles, lots of them, lots and lots and lots of them, and, but she only pulls out one rifle. And then that rifle spawns more rifles and more and more of those rifles. And, yeah, of course, the biggest one is Homura. It's almost a hammer space, but what she does is she uses time travel. They go back in time to go and to freeze time, go grab weapons, bring them back, and put them in place and fire them and let them go. Get some more weapons, put them in place, fire them, and let them go so that when time starts, everything's fired. A lot of uh, anime that involve giant robots, okay, they literally are in some kind of an alternate space and they appear around the main character, you know, with them in the sweet spot in the robot and they proceed to go into fighting mode. As opposed to the fighting vehicles that turn into a robot, you know. Right. Well, I personally really love the whole thing that they did with Gary Anderson's uh, Thunderbirds, where they're like sliding down all these slides from wherever they are into the cockpits of their various vehicles. I always thought that was the coolest thing. I wanted, you know, I, I didn't want the Thunderbirds more than I wanted those slides. Hey, they rebooted it. It got rebooted as a, a as a CGI series. I haven't seen it yet because it's unfortunately it's in Britain and it's not yet a. And not yet publicly available, and I respect the uh, Andersons enough not to bootleg. So, but it's, people who see it say it's, it's okay. It's a good reboot. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to see it either. You know, yeah. But, so, but anyway, so Hammer Space can be very, very good, and it can solve a lot of problems. In my game, like we use uh, uh, equipment tokens where people can say, oh, I didn't tell you I had this. And people will pull stuff out of their backpacks that probably shouldn't have been there in the first place. But, you know, it's, it's, it's one way of explaining it as well. It must have been in hammer space, <laughs> especially when it's a large item. You know? It's in the 13th pocket. Right, it's in the thirteenth pocket. We actually have a, an answer to that in, in in both. You know, it's of course it's very obvious. It's in in D and D, but we added it in the D twenty edition of uh, Bureau thirteen. So yeah, and then the last thing I have here is uh, was which was suggested by my son Eric, which is is that people will commonly discover a new and unknown power that may have no relation to anything else. It's just that, you know, they needed it, and bam, they have it. <laughs> Something, somebody some come, comes out of nowhere and, and says, you know, here's, you know, I've, I've been carrying this my entire life. You need to wear this. And they put it on, and bam, they got some, some brand new power that they never had before. You know, we keep bringing him back because we like him. We love him so much, Tenchi and his Lighthawk wings. He never knew he had that power. Yeah, that's a good example, right? You know, he wasn't even sure he even had it. Okay, one of the uh, animes where um, 
I can't remember the name of it, I'm sorry, uh, but it's it's fairly recent. And uh, he's like the only, uh, all, all the, the people who use it are uh, are women, could use these these robots, and he's the only guy that can make them work. What happens is, is that at, at certain points in the series, all of a sudden it's like he'll fall into a daydream and he'll be talking to some girl in his dream. Nobody knows who this girl is. He doesn't know who this girl is, but she'll say, you know, you need this, here it is and it's and he comes out of it and all of a sudden his mecca now has a new ability that it didn't have before and nobody can explain it grill and Logan certainly did that a lot yeah they would join they would jam these you know these two robots together and all of a sudden there'd be a new power they didn't know was there yeah well hey we we talked about attack on titan right yeah The, the main character right well yeah so that's an amazingly new power, yeah. He had no idea he had. So far, they haven't explained it either, why he has this ability. Though I'm sure it has something to do with that freaking basement that he's never bothered to go back to. <laughs> right. Well, apparently, if you read the manga, oh. you probably already know. But I, don't, I haven't read the manga. I'm, I, I'm waiting for the next season of the anime to come out. I don't want to know. I don't want to go read ahead. I want to see it in the anime. Okay. <laughs> Right, I I I'm, I am also trying not to to watch that, but yeah, um, another another one that is an example of that would be freezing. In freezing, you know, all the girls they have these implants in their bodies, and it gives them the ability to you know manifest powers and fight these aliens that come and try to destroy them. Okay, the guys have the ability to basically cause a uh, cause people to be frozen and that's why it's called freezing they have the ability to freeze their opponents or break the freezing that these aliens are trying to do so that the girls can continue to fight okay over the series uh, they discover a lot of new powers uh, sakuri constantly as uh, the characters evolve and gain new powers Usually, as a result of really wanting to win. Again, they 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 have to defend the the guy, and, and so they have to succeed. And all of a sudden, a new power will manifest because they absolutely couldn't lose. And so, obviously, something you know, the reality has to change so that they can win. <laughs> so that's you see that a, a lot, and and uh, and so in Fringeworthy. Or any of these games that are leveling, it's, it's going to be a problem because as soon as you go up a level, you pick stuff. And usually you don't introduce new abilities like that. But in, in any kind of a game where you've got superpowers, and, and that could be fringe-worthy, especially in the later campaign. Uh, certainly it's true in, uh, uh, in Bureau 13. I've, I've given people lots of powers by them being exposed to strange supernatural events. If you use these um, drama deck from uh, Stephen Wallet, and one of the cards that comes up, obviously not very often, since I have a deck of about 150 cards, but one comes up and says, you, you suddenly find yourself with a psychic power you didn't know you possessed. <laughs> it's one of the cards. And they almost invariably don't use it. I'm like, what are you talking about? This is like your golden thing. you know? Maybe because they're afraid if they do it, then the, 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 they'll not like have it, because they won't be able to have it in the next session. That's happens so much and it can and it can be a like i said it could be a a cooking skill okay <laughs> i mean where you didn't know you had the ability to cook you know until you try and it turns out you're awesome or it could be um uh an initial d where the guy is like this sleepy eyed 
high school student, but it turns out there's no race he can't win as long as he does it. You know, he has to be goaded in every, almost every race until like the third season when he actually decides he wants to be a racer. And every single time he says, okay, fine, he gets in there and he just beats this, the pants off of everybody he's up against. And he usually does it by doing some crazy stunt, like he has to get around somebody and the road's too narrow. By throttling the engine a certain way, he's able to lift one of the wheels so he can like pick it across a, a, a gutter that's on the side of the road and span the gutter and get around the person. I mean, stuff that really shouldn't be happening. Another one, the guy's not letting him get by, so he turns his lights off and drives around him. Because he has a perfect recall, and after he's examined the route that they're going to take, he can drive it literally with his eyes shut. So he, he shuts his lights off, it's dark, it's, there's all these races take place at night, and the other guy doesn't know what, where he is, and he drives around him and he can't stop him because he doesn't know where the guy is, and all he knows is just as he goes by, he turns his lights back on, and the flash of light usually dazzles the other driver, and he has to pull back, and now he's ahead and he wins. You know, this kind of thing happens in, you know, in that series, like... Toward the end of it, you're like, man, this guy has some really amazing abilities. You know, what he's able to do with a car is, you know, um, literally, you know, uh, master class. I mean, beyond what you think somebody could do with a car, you know. But it's not so implausible that you, you don't buy into it. You're like, well, I guess it could happen if somebody was truly amazing, you know. It's, uh, and the girl in um, Attack on Titan, the one who's the, the angel of win. I mean, you know, you talked about the beginning where you, you everybody, nobody can be like so great that they don't need the team, yet <laughs> she literally just mows down everybody in sight, you know, because she's so mad that she, she's granted, you know, uh, unbelievable power. In the Final Fantasies, it's called Break Limit, where if you take enough damage, all of a sudden a new ability will open up and you'll be like invincible for 30 seconds or something. Or you'll get some new ability you didn't have before, but it only happens when you've been pushed to your utmost. Okay. I mean, that's usually like a berserk trigger. In, in, in fact, that in most games, if you, take, if you take a certain amount of damage and you have the uh, ability of berserker or, or something equivalent, bang, your trigger is hit, and yeah, you've just gone berserk, and now you can pretty much ignore, ignore being beaten up, and you're not going and, – and unless you go ultra-negative, you're not going to drop until, uh, until combat's over, then – Heaven help you make you ro- make your rolls afterwards, because you may just simply die. <laughs> and in the early versions of of, uh, of the Tritax system, you really could go as as negative as you wanted to, as long as somebody was there and had the skills to do resuscitation, they could bring you back, no matter how many of you went far you went into the negative. Yep, because you just had to beat that that death shock death shock roll. Yeah, there was stun and there's death shock. That's right, stun, death shock. That's right, yes. So, and death shock is completely can be completely unrelated to damage, because you can have parts of your body you can get hit, and you don't, and, and they're basically like meat, and you don't suffer any real death shock there. But then you get like you know, someone shoots you in the nads, and you've got a nine percent chance of of your heart stopping. Anyway, so that's all I have. 
Uh, is there anything else about anime that that you love and you think should be in in any of the tri-tag games that I have mentioned? I would say one of the things that we have that we didn't touch on, and there's not really much you can do with it, but it's just a trope that I've seen in a lot of anime is the uh, the super damage taking a capability like uh, was it what was his name Jack something Jack damage Jack or or something but um, blackjack. It's from like the eighties. It's it's uh, Violence Jack. Sorry, Violence Jack. And I've seen it in another one as well, is where where the, the characters just seem to just take an un like an, like a ridiculous pounding, but they're still fine. Like like they're made out of bubble gum or something. You know, you, or they're dragging their body toward the bad guy. Like I will not give up. Right. Right. As long as you are still my enemy, you know you will not defeat me. <laughs> right. Yeah, and it still happens. I mean, uh, Matoi and Kill La Kill gets a couple, ses- at least one session or two sessions where, yeah, she's beaten to almost death. You know, it's but she's happily back after a, one rest episode. That's where they put it. You and, know, and let's let's not forget most anime. I mean, in a, in a lot of ways, they're like they're like superheroes. You know, they're just yeah. If if you look at them, it's like wow. Hold on, wait a minute. I, I recognize this superhero. It's not wearing a cape or a uniform. It's not you know not calling themselves a superhero, but but they basically that's basically what they are. You know, the person can essentially fly. You know, yeah, it looks like they're running through the air, but they're they're basically flying, and they're super durable and they're super strong. Hey, that's basically like a Japanese Superman, really. If you were to put a uniform and a cape on them and you know, have them land properly. Oh, so you've never seen AKO. All right. No, I, I haven't, but, but I'm just saying, <laughs> it's, it's basically, you know, I mean, a, a lot of the, 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 the man, you know, anime that I watch is, I'm like, this is basically just a superhero movie. Yeah. Well, and sometimes they are, but they, and where they're not supposed to be normal, but they're still taking an unbelievable amount of damage, which is why I'm saying it's more of theatrical damage because right. they don't actually suffer any real results from it. They don't actually have to build themselves back up yeah. afterwards. Usually, uh, you know, a nice hot bath and you know a good night's sleep and a good meal, and they're just you know all their hit points are back. It's like, how many yeah. hit points do you have? How many does the plot need me to have? Yeah. That's why I'm saying life as if it was an RPG. Right. You know, that's the kind of things you're you're talking about. And yeah, it's sometimes fun to kind of go and say, you know, hey, you know, it, it's it's like it is the Avengers and it's in a middle school. Right, exactly. Yeah. And they're trying to win the school bazaar by having the best booth. Thank you very much, everybody who's listened all this time. We hope that, that you're considering the possibility of playing one of our games as, you know, an anime-type adventure. Maybe even trying it out for a couple, a, a small story arc, you know, where the characters are going to have these kinds of things. We've talked about before where, you know, the, the various government agencies and the various nations of the Earth will put pressure on uh, people in Fringeworthy. Uh, the, the Bureau 13 itself, as a shadowy organization, you know, does put a lot of pressure on its agents to behave a certain way and to do things and to never give up. Because if they do, then untold number of people are going to suffer as a result. So there's lots of opportunities to bring these uh, tropes from Japanese animation and other uh, countries' animations into your game uh, to make it maybe a little different in tone or some things that you've really been kind of neglecting. 
or just things you haven't tried and you just want to do something different. We will, we'd like you to try all these different things because we're about you having the most awesome game you possibly can, preferably with our products. But if you don't, we still want you to have the most awesome game that you can. So these are the tools that we hope will help you. And we hope that you'll do this and let us know about it on our various Facebook, uh, other internet things like TriTagGamers.com or even at the uh, Bodbean site where you're listening to this uh, uh, podcast. And Google Plus. And Google Plus, John. Thank you. We, uh, we're everywhere. Twitter, too. You know, so go to Google and try to find us and tell us what you're doing because we'd love to hear more. And if you have a particular adventure you think would be especially, this anime style that you think would be especially good with one of our products, please let us know about that, too, because, you know, we are all players here. We're not just game masters, game designers. So we would love to, uh, to try out some of your ideas. So let us know about them. And we'll have more of this and other types of things, our further adventures and our further podcasts. But you'll have to wait till next week. And until then. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game, hate the players. This is Richard Tahoka. Wait till you see what's coming next. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at TriTech Games. And if you don't, we'll be after your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org, colon 8027.